Welcome to the Neuropathy Support Group and Podcast. I'm Chris, and I'm so glad you tuned in. It's my hope with this podcast to help all of us gather information that might help those that need support dealing with this debilitating issue. Hello, and welcome to this podcast. Before we get started, let's get the formalities out of the way with the medical and privacy disclaimer. I am not a doctor or medical professional. The information on this podcast is from personal experiences and is meant for group support. Additionally, the information discussed is not meant to diagnose, treat, or cure any underlying conditions associated with neuropathy. All names here within are private and will not be shared with any outside sources. Please consult your healthcare provider before making any health decisions. If you have medical concerns or an immediate emergency, please contact your doctor or dial 911. Well, hello, and I hope everyone had a great weekend. I did. Family came over, and we visited for a while, and that always makes my day less painful, especially when they're here. I don't, re- I don't think about the pain that I'm in, so it was a great, great, great weekend. Now, I want to uh, just say real quick, I'm sorry for the transfers of my podcast episodes going to another website. I must, I well, I did. I pushed a button that shouldn't have been pushed, and that's why it all went over there. So I should have that fixed now. My son came over and helped me find the issue. So we'll see where this uh, episode ends up going to. But if it does go to somewhere else, to one of my other sites, I will let you know. And I will post that link so you'll be able to find it. So today we're going to be talking about the truth behind the most popular diet trends of the moment. Now we're we're going to be focusing on the ketogenic diet, but there's a couple other ones I'm going to talk about also. So let me ask you this. Is skipping meals a bad idea? Or a secret weight loss weapon? Should you eat low fat or high fat? You probably could eat less added sugar. So, should you eliminate it completely? With so many competing and often contradictory diet trends, it can be tough to cut through the hype to find a healthy eating plan that works for you. So, let's look into that right now. So, the first one is Whole30. And how does this work? For 30 days... No sugar, alcohol, grains, and dairy or treats in general are allowed. What's on the menu? Moderate amounts of meat, seafood and eggs, vegetables, some fruit, and natural fats such as nuts and avocados, herbs, and seasoning are okay. What are the promises? A reboot for your eating habits and your cravings. Plus, the founders say that eliminating these food groups may help with a number of ailments that blame on food sensitivities such as skin problems, digestive issues, low energy, and chronic pain. So what is the upsides of this type of diet plan? No doubt, the whole 30 is strict, but for some people, a black and white list of rules stating what you can and cannot eat makes it easier to follow, at least for 30 days. Plus, the growing popularity 
makes recipes and meal plans easy to find. Cutting out snacks and processed foods such as chips and crackers is part of the plan. There's three things in my mind that you do not take away from me. M&M's, my uh, special chips that I get from a certain store, and my ice cream. Just leave me alone. Let me have those three pleasures at least. So what is the downside to the, to the whole 30? Though the internet is full of success stories, there's no scientific evidence of health benefits, particularly in the long term. Most people return to their previous eating habits after completing the challenge. So what's the Mayo verdict? And this is the Mayo Clinic. Not only does it cut out foods, the most Americans should eat less of, like added sugars, but it also eliminates healthy food, including whole grains and dairy. And it's a more sustainable approach. Don't cut out food groups. Enjoy the variety, including dessert, as long as it's occasional. So here's the one that we want to talk about, the ketogenic diet. How it works. Bring on the bacon. This high-fat, very low-carbohydrate diet typically means eating fewer than 50 grams of carbs a day. Less than four slices of bread worth. What, what does this promise? Getting most of your calories from fat forces your body to use different energy pathways. Instead of carbs for energy, the body burns fat, entering a state called ketosis. So what are the, up, uh, the upsides? While the precise mechanisms are unclear, ketosis is thought to have brain-protecting benefits as well as half of young people with epilepsy had fewer seizures after following the diet. And some early research suggests it may have benefits for blood sugar control among people with diabetes. An upcoming study will look at the ketogenic diet as a weight maintenance strategy. So here's the downside. While the research is exciting, there is very little evidence to show that this type of eating is effective or safe. Over the long term, for anything other than epilepsy, plus very low carbohydrates, diets tend to have higher rates of side effects, including constipation, headaches, bad breath, and more. Also, meeting the diet's requirements means cutting out many of the healthy foods, making it difficult to meet your micronutrient needs. So this is what the Mayo Clinic says. While the ketogenic diet may be recommended for some people with uncontrolled epilepsy, the high fat content and especially the high level of unhealthy saturated fat combined with limits on nu nutrient-rich fruits, vegetables, and grains is a concern for long-term health, heart, heart health. So the next thing we're going to talk about is the anti-inflammatory diet. This is how it works. While there is no single anti-inflammatory diet, the general approach is a balanced diet full of fresh, wholesome foods. The diet calls for lots of colorful fruits and vegetables, whole grains, fish, tea, instead of coffee, and even dark chocolate and red wine. Fast food is off the menu. 
This is what it promises. Eating whole, unprocessed, largely plant-based foods is thought to fight chronic inflammation and help counteract stress and environmental toxins. In turn, this may lower your risk of heart disease, cancer, and Alzheimer's. Here's the upsides. Fresh fruit and vegetables, check. Whole grains, check. Healthy omega-3 fats, check. And chocolate and wine, double check. Here's the brief downsides. Learning to prepare fresh, plant-based foods can be more time-consuming than relying on pre-packaged or fast food. And here's the Mayo's verdict. Just like the Mediterranean diet is based on, this approach to eating is nutritionally sound and not overly restrictive like some other diet trends. All right, here's the intermittent fasting. There are two common approaches to fasting. One is to eat very few calories on certain days, then eat normally the rest of the time. The other involves eating only during certain hours and skipping meals for the rest of the day. This is what it promises. Even with free eating periods, fasters tend to take in fewer calories overall, resulting in weight loss. In addition, Advocates believe that intentionally depriving your cells of calories may slow the progression of certain age-related diseases. Alright, here's the upside. Some people find it easier to have bulletproof willpower for just part of the time than to eat more moderately all of the time. Several small studies have found lower blood sugar, blood pressure, and cholesterol levels with fasting. Here's the downside. Larger, long-term studies are still lacking, so most of the proposed benefits are theory or based on animal research. And here's the Mayo's verdict. There's simply not enough research yet to support or debunk this trend, and shortening your eating window may make it difficult to get the vitamins and minerals you need. Athletes especially may find it difficult to fuel and refuel appropriately for an active lifestyle. All right, so since you know some of the various uh, diet plans, we're going to move on to what this episode was intended for, which is what is a ketogenic diet and what are the therapies that goes along with that. One thing I did want to mention, if you go to YouTube and type in what type of ketogenic diet should I try, they, they have various uh, videos that you can look and it'll kind of give you an idea. So this webpage that I'm getting all this from has a lot of information. This is one that you might want to check into when I post them. So here we go. There are five variations of the ketogenic diet which have been published in medical literature as effective treatments for diseases that have underlying metabolic issues such as epilepsy, cancer, and Alzheimer's. The original ketogenic uh, therapy known as the ketogenic diet or classic keto for short, was designed by Dr. Russell Wilder of the Mayo Clinic for the Treatment of Epilepsy. All ketogenic diets are high in fat, adequate in proteins, and low in carbohydrates. This combination changes the way it is used in the body, converting fat into fatty acids and ketones in the liver. 
When there is an elevated level of ketones in the blood, one is in a state of ketosis, which has a variety of therapeutic benefits for the sick and healthy alike. So let me go over those real quick, the different ones that you just spoke about. The first one is called the classic keto. An individualized and structured diet that provides special, specific meal plans. Foods are weighed and meals could, should be consumed in the, entirely for best results. The next one is the modified keto. Modifying the restrictiveness of classic keto can be helpful when starting the diet or when tapering down to be more sustainable long-term diet. The next one is called MCT. An individualized and structured diet containing highly ketogenic medium chain to triglycerides, allowing for more carb and protein than classic keto. The next one is the modified Atkins. This one uh, limits the amount of carbohydrates, encourages fat, and does not limit protein. Carbohydrates are to be accompanied by fat when consumed. The next one is the low glycemic index. This one is an individualized but less structured diet. It uses exchange lists for planning meals and emphasizing complex carbohydrates. It is not intended to promote ketosis. And finally, the last one is intermittent fasting. This one's a dietary intervention that shifts the body into ketosis by limiting the window of time one eats during the day, forcing the body to access energy from body fat. So ketogenic therapy includes more than just diet. Nutritional supplements, electrolytes, hydration, and activity levels are also key. Individuals who suffer from digestive problems generally need additional support. This is where an experienced ketogenic specialist can be extremely helpful. Monitoring your ketosis is another important uh, aspect of therapy. Ketosis can be measured by three different methods, your blood, breath, and urine. Blood readings is the most accurate and reliable method of testing, though it is also the most extensive. Urine strips provided an affordable option but reading can vary widely upon and based on hydration. And breath monitors have simply varying results and a higher entry price, though technology is improving. So, am I a candidate for a ketogenic diet? Well, the short answer is yes. For the majority of people consuming a Western diet, we urge you to consult a general practitioner prior to making the switch to keto. How long should someone be on a ketogenic diet? So this site right here says that they believe that a three month commitment to the diet is a minimal commitment to allow your body to fully acclimate to the new fat-based fuel source. Since most people following a Western diet are not proficient at metabolizing fat optimally, this uh, period allows the body time to become fat adapted. And what's good about this site right here, it has recipes down the very bottom, uh, lists the hospitals, and also it says find a professional. So there's a lot of information that I didn't go into on this website, but 
I just wanted to give you the general aspect and general idea of what this is. My suggestion is to look at each of these diets that it has up here. And I would look at the um, chart that it has. It's a pretty good chart. It, it kind of shows you what each um, percentage is of the total calories. So before I close this episode, there was something that was posted on one of the uh, Facebook pages I belong to. And it had to do with um, an anti-fatigue socks that were purchased by um, one of the members of that Facebook page. And they said that they're outstanding, they work uh, very well. I've never tried anti-fatigue socks. I use compression socks, I'm not sure if those are the same thing, but let me go ahead and check to see if I can find some information on that. So what I'm seeing so far are these socks are a type of a compression sock. I'm not sure if most of you worked in a factory or some place where they had those mats that they would throw on the ground. Those are very similar to uh, what the socks do. They're anti-fatigue. So real quick here, researchers have noted some benefits of using compression clothing to help with recovery after exercise. People note small to moderate benefits after using the devices for up to 48 hours following significant amounts of moderate to intense muscle damage including exercise. These benefits include less muscle swelling, less sensation of muscle pain, and increased lactic acid removal from muscles. Research shows wearing compression socks between rounds of muscle damaging exercise may also reduce soreness, but not only increasing circulation of lactic acid and metabolic waste within the muscle, but also potentially reducing inflammation as well. From what I'm seeing on the website here, they're talking a lot about copper in those socks. Have you guys ever tried that? I tried it and it didn't work for me. Where uh, like my socks were lined with the copper in them. And I didn't have any more relief than just wear the plain old, plain old uh, sock. But I will say, I use the compression sleeves on my hands and on my feet. I use the compression socks. But nothing really specialized. It does have the grip on the bottom that helps. But that's about, that's about all. It's just plain and simple. So that's where I'll end this week. I want to thank you again for being here, being part of this podcast. And now my blog, I have set up, ready to go. And I also have a Facebook page for that blog. So I've got three different areas where you can find all the information you want um, in past episodes. So until then, I will talk to you later and be safe this week. As we come to a close, it's my hope this podcast and other sources, such as product reviews that I have discussed today, can better our lives and give us some relief dealing with neuropathy. This episode plus others are posted every Monday on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And finally, whatever life throws at you, even if it hurts you, just be strong and fight through it. Remember, strong walls shake, but never collapse. Talk to you next Monday.